I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Daniela Barboza, Executive Director of the Hyperledger Foundation and General Manager of Blockchain and Identity at the Linux Foundation. Let's talk to begin with about the impact of enterprise blockchain adoption. How is that affecting financial services at large? The Hyperledger Foundation since 2015 has been the place for companies, both end users like financial services and banks, as well as technology companies to come together and collaboratively build open source solutions that are blockchain and blockchain related. So both blockchain and digital identity projects. Um, we started with one project um, that was very focused on a permissioned distributed ledger. And today we have 13 different projects that really address where the enterprise market is, including the financial services market is in the adoption of these tools. So I do think that there has been a lot of increase in the adoption of the tools. But if you think about, and I know, Robin, you've been in this business for a long time. If you think about the banking and the finance industry, in order to make very large digital transformation and changes in technology, these cycles are very long. So when people say, well, you know, it's been seven years, what has happened? A lot has happened, but it's enterprise, right? It's enterprise technology implementations. It needs to go into testing. And in financial services, is it's even more complex because you do have so much regulatory requirements and compliance that globally these organizations have to deal with as well. So we're not seeing the full impact of what blockchain can offer us yet then because of this process. Yeah, I think so. It's just like any other technology, right? The application of the technology may be, you know, early on, there's a lot of hype and everybody comes out talking about how they're going to do X, Y, Z with the technology, whether it's blockchain or AI or something else. Um, and then the hard work happens, right? The the testing, the implementations, the POCs, um, and those uh, sometimes uh, gain traction and they go into production. Sometimes they are just real, you know, lessons learned that are important for both the technologists, right, the engineers that are building that's technology, for the business, the people who are trying to basically make a business or change and enable the way that they do their businesses better, and the governments and the regulators out there that need to um, understand how to regulate the technology. Here at the Hyperledger Foundation, we're purely focused on making sure the technology is right, the technology is developed collaboratively in the open. So it's about open source, but also very importantly, open development and open governance, which is quite different. Everyone can open source their code and put it on GitHub and say, hey, you can take a look at the code. And that's great. And it's great to see. And there's no doubt that in the blockchain world, that has won. If you don't have open source code, pretty much a lot of people are not going to want to take a look at it and build it into their systems. But more importantly is how do you openly develop and how do you openly govern collaboratively um, like we do here at the Hyperledger Foundation and have been doing at the Linux Foundation. So the Hyperledger Foundation is one project of hundreds at the Linux Foundation, including the Linux kernel, you know, one of the most important open source projects. But we think that the way to build the technologies of the future that are going to be embedded in the most important systems in financial services, in government services, is to not only use open source code, but also to openly develop um, and openly govern that code base. These are the building blocks of the future, pretty much. 
I'm going to come back to banking to financial services because I'm quite fond of telling people that if you take a banker from any time in the last 200 years and drop him into a bank in the 1980s and 1990s, he'd be right at home. She'd be right at home. Mostly it would be a he, obviously, if we're going that far back in history. But not much changed in the way business was done in banking and financial services over that last couple of hundred years. It was just a question of remember which column the debits went into and which column the credits went into. But there are fundamental changes happening under the surface. And from the perspective of a user or potential user of blockchain technology, what I'm hearing from you is those changes actually haven't started to bite in the end users yet. It's still being developed. No, uh, no, I, there are uh, many production use cases that are using blockchain, you know, specifically for digital assets and tokenization, uh, use cases around trade finance, for example, and supply chain, where there are return on investment uh, numbers that are coming out around the core benefits of blockchain, right? Which is not as a speculative, you know, cryptocurrency technology, but as a technology that brings efficiencies to business, as is a technology that opens up the opportunity for the greater you know, citizens or uh, users to participate in financial services. I think you know, the big difference between you know, the 1800s and, and the 1980s and today is that there's thing, this thing called the internet. <laughs> and primarily, the internet has become also the internet of value, which is slightly different. And whether you call it Web3 or the internet of value or maybe you know, some other terms, depending on you know, who you're talking to in which industry. The core thing is that there's the democratization of the internet and the technologies that allow businesses, that allow consumers to have different ways to interact with money, to interact with their assets, the things that they own, whether it's in uh, real world assets, you know, like your, your, your house or a piece of art or financial assets. And I do think that there's a big change that's happened since the early 90s to today that, you know, is not specific to blockchain, but it's specific to the technology technologies that basically run our digital infrastructure, you know, the internet, essentially, as as you see it. Well, you mentioned one thing there I'd like to come on to, and that's asset tokenization. Applications in the traditional financial world, do people actually understand? Because I'm not entirely sure that I understand exactly what the benefit of tokenization is. So perhaps you could explain it to me. So I think if you're talking about tokenization of a real world asset, I'll give you a a new use case that I think is interesting. Think about intellectual patents, right? So let's say, Robin, you know, you had a, a patent awarded to you and you were an entrepreneur and you wanted to take that patent and build a business around it. The options, you know, have been that you take that patent, you put it on a nice slide deck, and you go and pitch it to the VCs, right, to the investors. And you say, here's a patent I own. I'm starting this company. Would you like to invest in my company? And you get a couple of bites and you get people investing you in, in, in your company, uh, but they're investing in your company, right? They're taking equity out of your company as well. There are ways now today, and there's a company out there called IPWE, which is focused on patents, on intellectual 
intellectual patent management, where you can tokenize that patent um, and you can mint that patent essentially as an NFT on a public blockchain, on a layer one public blockchain, and you can create liquidity. So you can create options to sell parts of that patent without necessarily selling the company. You know, that's just one example, right? And then you still have full equity of your company, but your patent, you have now tokenized and sold and created basically a market for that patent as well. That's one example that, you know, is relatively new and I think has some interesting uh, use cases as well. Other use cases are just of being able to, for example, multi-billion dollar construction sites, right? Um, it is really hard as an individual investor or as a small, even retail investor to be able to buy into a project like that. And why? Because it's very complex, right? Those, the organization has to start a company, has to create, you know, has to basically have banking services and be able to sell shares and stuff like that, right? If you are able to tokenize the construction buildings, for example, or the work that's happening on the construction buildings. And then you can create uh, the ability for individual investors to buy fractions of the asset itself. In this case, let's say it's a, a construction building that creates opportunities for individuals who might not have the high worth, you know, that, you know, a large company might have to invest in. So I think that it opens up an, the ability for smaller investors for the fractionalization of those of those assets to allow investment a little bit more with more diversity for example in different regions now you mentioned currencies a few moments ago cryptocurrencies i have spent more time than i really want to think about in the last few years telling people that bitcoin is not blockchain and blockchain is not bitcoin they are two separate beasts but mm-hmm. there is a value in digital currency. There is a utility in digital currency, which is being backed up by blockchain technology. Bitcoin is an application that is built on top of blockchain technologies. And there's still a lot of education that needs to get done. And specifically, when something happens in the market, even though sometimes it's not even related to cryptocurrency, it's just pure fraud, like the FTX fiasco last year. Unfortunately, blockchain gets, you know, the black eye, right? Gets the, uh, the notion. So cryptocurrency is not going to go away. Robin, I think you and I were supposed to meet at Money 2020. And this year, just like last year, there is an increased, you know, booths of companies uh, talking about specifically public blockchains, right? Layer one blockchains and cryptocurrencies, um, and also stable coins, um, and also central bank digital currencies. So there's a lot of applications that are aligned with what a cryptocurrency can do, right? That digital assets does have value in financial markets. And I, you know, I am not an anti-Bitcoin person. I think Bitcoin has its use cases and it has its place in the market, as does Ethereum, as does many other coins that are out there in the public layer one blockchains. But ultimately, it is the technology, right? It's the distributed ledger technology and the applications of it that will create efficiencies in the market, that will create new opportunities for investment for consumers, that will create fairness because it is 
is so transparent? Why did people, you know, start looking at blockchain, you know, because of its transparency, because of its efficiency, because of removing the middleman, right? The the third party that is required to do a lot of, you know, reconciliation, right? Why are we spending three, four days trying to get money around the world when the technology is there to be able to quickly uh, move money, money around safely and securely? And that is the benefit of blockchain. Bitcoin just leverages that, right? And they have their own theory of how to go about doing it, but they're leveraging the pure the pure principles of what a distributed ledger is. One thing I think I want to end on is your views on where governments are in this equation. Are they keeping up? Are they behind? Are the regulations keeping up? Is it something that still needs work? Is it always going to be the case that the regulators are going to be playing catch up? This is my personal opinion. Uh, the Hyperledger Foundation, we don't do a lot of work with regulators, right? There's a lot of great associations, and they're actually part of our foundation. Uh, for example, in the UK, the Digital Pound Foundation, the Digital Euro Foundation, in the US, the Digital Dollar Project. Um, and they're working on technology with the regulators, trying to figure out what the best approach, and it's going to be different approaches for different you know, uh, regions you know, as well. Um, so I do think there's still a lot of work to get done. Certain regions, for example, in Europe with Mika, I think are making uh, good progress, and a lot of the rest of the world will probably be looking at some of that regulation and um, and hopefully taking advantage of that. Um, so I think there always needs to be a lot of work. Remember, this is new technology. I mean, we're talking seven to ten years of this technology really being in the marketplace and having companies, you know, budget for using it, having companies hire to use it, having their lawyers and their legal staff look at the technology and the compliance issues. So there's still a lot of work to be done. But to answer your question about governments and tech and where they are involved in technologies, absolutely. We are seeing more and more governments with engineers, for example, participating and contributing to the work that's being done at the Hyperledger Foundation. Um, so a couple examples, the government of British Columbia, and they have been contributing and participating over the last seven years. They're the maintainers, some of the top maintainers in our digital identity projects, including Hyperledger Indy and Hyperledger Aries and Anoncreds. And Aries is essentially a, 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 an agent, a wallet agent, and uh, Noncreds is for verifiable credentials. You have engineers that are part of the government of British Columbia doing work and contributing to the open source communities. We're seeing more and more interest by um, regulators and um, uh, central banks, for example, wanting to understand the technology and the approaches and having open conversations, once again, in our Hyperledger Foundation about how they're using technology and what, more importantly, they need the technology to do in the future, right? What are the core things from a security perspective of, right, you know, that they need to have this technology done? So when the government engineers, the developing, the developers and the talents come in to work with our community, I know that they're interested. I know that they have resources that they're putting forward. And I think it's a great focus for the future of the technology when you just don't have the technology companies building it, but you have the end users, right? You have the banks participating and contributing. You have the central banks. You have the government agencies that are trying to work on digital identity projects worldwide. And that I think is very exciting. And 
And certainly at the Hyperledger Foundation, it's a place for uh, governments and associations to come and join us. We have a few central banks, the Banque de France, for example. We have uh, been working with the Bank of England for many years, as well as the Boston Fed and many others. So uh, we encourage actually, if any government uh, individuals uh, are in technologists and uh, and policymakers are listening to come join the foundation and actually be core to what is being developed from a technology perspective that I, I truly believe will be you know the cure the, the, the core to future infrastructure uh, worldwide. Daniela Barbosa, Executive Director of Hyperledger Foundation and General Manager of Blockchain and Identity at the Linux Foundation. Thank you very much.